We are beginning a new sermon series, uh, certainly for the next 12 weeks, which we are going to be looking at 1 Timothy, but then we may move into 2 Timothy, and then into Titus, uh, and those are what's called the pastoral letters. Uh, and so we're beginning this new series because we believe that these letters that Paul wrote uh, to Timothy, who is in Ephesus, uh, where the Ephesian church is, um, has something important to say uh, both to him at that point, but also to us as well. Titus was in Crete, and so Paul writes a letter to him there. And so the letters concern important subjects such as uh, the pastoral care of the church, how you deal with false teachers, the function of men and women in the church, leadership within the church. But it also teaches us something on how to relate to various groups in the church, because 1 Timothy speaks about how we relate to the men in the church, how we relate to the women in the church and we relate to the widows the old people the young people the leaders even the slaves the false teachers and and the rich uh, and so it relates well to us here as we tie this into what we do here in, in living hope as well and so taking a look at this for over the next 12 weeks it hopefully teach us and encourage us and challenge us because uh, we, we love to do a sermon series well I love to do a sermon series and I'm the preacher so you get to listen to a sermon series for the next 12 weeks so um, so what we're going to do we're going to read uh, 1 Timothy 1 and looking at the first uh, 12 verses sorry 11 verses here uh, this morning the words will come before you on the screen so Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God our saviour and of Christ Jesus our hope to Timothy my true son in the faith grace mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer, or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law was made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers. For the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God which he entrusted to me. Uh, Paul, right off the bat here in the introduction to 1 Timothy, gets straight to the point. He wants to, he's telling Timothy uh, what he is writing to him for, uh, to encourage him, to help him, but also to tell Timothy what he needs to deal with. And right from the opening verses, Paul simply states his authority as an apostle who is writing to a young man, uh, Timothy, his son in the faith, who he has left in charge of the Ephesian church. Uh, you can read all about the Ephesian church, both Acts chapter 18 to 20, uh, the letter that Paul writes to the Ephesians, and also in Revelation chapter 2, where it's described as the loveless church. So it is quite a well-mentioned church. 
church in the New Testament, but also gives us a detailed description of the sort of journey that the church is on. Uh, and so we come here where we can see from the beginning of it losing its way, and Paul is trying to help them here as he writes to Timothy uh, to encourage and help him. And so Paul, right off the bat, states his apostleship intentionally at the opening of this letter. Uh, what's important about apostleship is firstly this, that I must say this, it's not a function that's recognised uh, by fellow men or the church leadership. Hands have not been laid upon Paul and suddenly he's an apostle. Uh, it's a command of God, there's no self-appointment here. Often in times we recognise the function of somebody within the church and give them the position. Uh, that's the way I, I would do leadership in a sense within the church, that you don't just give somebody the title or the position you recognize what somebody is doing with apostleship that's not happened with apostleship here with Paul uh, Paul's delegated authority comes from Acts 9 verse 15 when he gets saved and the Lord said to Ananias go this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel so apostle means sent one and this is what Paul is he's the sent one he's the one that has come to do the work of God. Now, uh, the struggle that people have and the question that most believers will want to ask right at the beginning here is, well, well are there apostles today? We look at it here and Paul is stating his authority to the church and he's simply saying, you know, listen, Timothy, I have the right to, to speak to you and also to speak to the church that I planted here in Ephesus and the authority that I have is I am an apostle. I am the sent one. And, and so the qualification in the New Testament was one who had simply seen the risen Christ. Uh, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 8 where he said, and last of all he appeared to me. And so I'll give you two viewpoints about whether apostles uh, still exist today. And then you can make up your mind as I share with you the two viewpoints. Uh, the first is this, is that Paul uh, was the last apostle, people would argue, and say, because of the verse that he says, last of all, he appeared to me. And some people believe, well, that closed apostleship, and that said, well, Paul was the final apostle. Uh, the difficulty with that is this, is that Paul himself writes in Ephesians 4, verse 11 and 12 when he says so Christ gave himself the apostles the prophets the evangelists the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up so immediately we strike a problem that if we believe in the apostles have stopped then why did not evangelist teachers and prophets and and, the, and and that why did they not stop as well he says, you know, they are there. It's given clearly the purpose that their works of service, the body of Christ may be built up. And so these are clear functions that are operated by gifted people that are full of the Holy Spirit. We would have no issue with prophets, evangelists, teachers, pastors being used in the church today. So why not apostles? Well, often the issue with apostles is sometimes that it's self-appointment, that often people may declare themselves, well, I'm an apostle. And so that often is the problem sometimes or a, a group of people would get somebody around them and say well that would be somebody who is an apostle the problem is with with men in and I do say this with men is we, we love a title you know we, we do love titles and that happens in the church unfortunately men love titles we don't just want to be known as plain old simple you know Matt Davis you know it's uh, not that I'm plain and simple but we don't like to be known as plain simple we like a title who is Pastor Matt, 
called Master Pat, as some people call me. <laughs> or Big Matt, as some people call me. That, so. We love a title. We love somebody saying, and, and this is a difficulty that we have. And so I'm going to help you to recognize the biblical function of an apostle. And I'll give you four things that, that will help you. The first one is this. We take this from Paul's life. It's somebody who's chosen, called, and sent by Christ somewhere. So the God has called them and, and they're sent somewhere. Uh, and so that's, the, that's saying, no, no, everybody's sent is a, an apostle. We must, we must do all four of these. The second one is this, is they're filled with a special measure of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me say this to you. It's a special measure. It's not more. It says the idea that somebody would get more of the Spirit or less of the Spirit, depending on their title or function. No, it's not. It's a special measure. It's just different. And so that's the second thing. The third thing we see is this, is the word is confirmed by signs and wonders. Somebody who preaches the word, and that is backed up by signs and wonders. And then the fourth thing is this, it is extended to the whole church for the whole of their lives. So it's recognized, in a sense, not just by God who's been given it as a command, as we see here in the life of Paul, but also it's recognized by the church as well because they fulfill those other functions and so if they fit that in you know, to those things then yes apostles like prophets like evangelists like teachers like pastors can exist today and it's the authority that Paul has as he writes to Timothy here and simply says I'm an apostle and he doesn't say it arrogantly because Paul is a humble man he says it because it's been commanded and called by God and so we move on to the next bit because Paul then encourages Timothy from the outset with an amazing statement sometimes that we can miss. He simply blesses him with grace, mercy and peace. Not from Paul, but from God. Uh, and so he gives it this prayer to him that this is what he wants. That, that imagine this as we pray for people because sometimes we struggle when we pray for people. But Paul writes to Timothy, he loves Timothy, he cares about him. And he prays this and he says the first thing he says, he prays grace for him. That God's unmerited favour that gives us what we don't deserve. Mercy for you, God's compassionate favour forgiving us for the wrong things we have done. Peace for you, God's reconciling favour that gives us a clear conscience because God has forgiven our sins and pours his grace into our lives so we should never struggle when we come I want to pray for you it's only last week and I thought about this I, I was talking to somebody who was facing some difficulty and at the end of the telephone call I, I prayed all the best well I didn't pray all the best I said all the best and this person says is that really right for a pastor to say they weren't telling me off because you know they were friends is that the right they're all the best and I thought about that actually no shouldn't really pray all the best I'm preaching on Sunday telling everybody listen if you're going to pray for people pray for grace for them or for mercy for them for peace for them you know we don't pray well health wealth and good luck all the best you know <laughs> hope it works out all right you know he says Paul tells us how to pray so he prays for Tim Timothy, he says, grace for you, peace for you, mercy for you, as he prays for his son in the faith, Timothy. We're not praying now. And so he gives Timothy then his first instruction. And it's not an instruction that Timothy wants to hear. 
because the church in Ephesus is giving him some trouble. There's some grief happening. And we know from when we read Timothy's letter that Timothy often can be a bit timid. He can be a bit sort of shy. He can be a bit in the background. And, and Paul gives him this instruction. And if you're in the middle of any trouble, the first, it's really the last thing that you want to hear from somebody, which is he tells him to stay there. Stay there in Ephesus. Uh, and in Timothy's fearfulness and, and that, what he probably wants to do is he wants to leave. He wants to go. There's all this trouble. Nobody wants trouble. Nobody wants the difficulties of stuff going on. And, you know, and you come to church sometimes. And not our church, but sometimes people are difficult. Not this church, other churches. Other pastors told me. And people are difficult. And so what he wants to do is he wants to disappear and he wants to go. But Paul just says to him, he says, stay there in Ephesus. Realized over the last 20 years the two biggest challenges when God calls you to ministry. The first challenge is to actually go, but the second challenge is actually to stay. Leaving is not a difficult thing to do. It's the easiest thing to do is to leave. Actually, you need to stay. See, the challenge we have for churches today is this, uh, relating to this letter, is we, we have to try and sell church to people. Almost like, you know, if you were selling a house or selling a car. Well, if you come to our churches, it's kids' church is wonderful. Look at this and show it. And you could put a PowerPoint up and a display and say, well, the kids' church is wonderful. And we could provide for you every need. And if you ever need the pastor, he's there 24 hours a day, nine days a week. And we can just sell it to people like that as church. And we, what we do is we, we look at church and what we can get from it. But God looks at church and he looks and says, well, how is this glorifying me? How is this honouring me? And rather than asking the question that what do we get out of church and what church is for, he says the reality is we must ask ourselves the question, what is God looking for in the church? It's a question that's been asked here, a Timothy in the church that Paul is writing to here. See, Christians today will move from church to church for any number of reasons without any consultation with God about where we want them to be. Sometimes some people just need to hear the word stay. God would say stay. And whatever, that's just a spiritualised version of it because if you add God would say, that always makes it more spiritual. But just stay. And people say, well, well hold on. We'll just take, well, all Christians must be planted in a Bible-believing, spirit-led church. See, let me give you some reasons not to leave a church. Or what somebody described as church surfing, which apparently is you go from one church to the other. You know, I think it was, and so they're moving. So I give you some reasons not to move church. A lack of cute girls, a lack of cute boys. Obviously only talking to the single people here. <laughs> don't like the pastor, don't like the worship, don't like the communion juice. Don't know what they do with all the money. He preaches too long, he preaches too short, he's too funny, he's not funny enough. Not enough hymns, not enough choruses. He doesn't dress right, she doesn't dress right, they don't dress right, worship team don't dress right, nobody dresses right. The reasons can be anything and everything. Yet Paul gives Timothy an instruction, which is simply, regardless of everything that's going on, stay. What do you mean stay? So we'll stay. He says all of those aren't important issues. Timothy's issues will be different. But dealing with Christians sometimes, you, you do want to run away. But staying where God has called you is what Paul is encouraging Timothy to do. 
it's easy sometimes to look and come and preach here, Timothy. Come and preach and pastor there, Timothy. Paul just says, no, stay. And you can see, Timothy, what do you mean, stay? He says, often, I shared this before, the driving past McDonald's as I drive home, uh, sometimes on a Sunday night. Not every Sunday night, you'll be pleased to know. I see McDonald's and I think to myself, it would be so much easier to work in there with burgers and people. <laughs> So I'll be honest from the front and then I found my dream job and I'm waiting for the call of God and it's not coming yet but it will because I've discovered there are Christian cruise ships and what they do is they look for now believe me it's true and they're Christian cruise ships and they look for pastors or preachers to come on the cruise and preach twice a day and then just relax on the cruise ship to encourage people in the jacuzzi over a mocktail those sort of things and I thought to myself I thought Lord here, here I am I'm here but it hasn't come yet unfortunately he says you see when you stay and I've realised this and as I said that the 20 years on Friday that I've been uh, full time here in the church the longer you stay people get to know you they get to know the pastor the good the bad and the ugly uh, walking up the crumbling road on the way to the Vine Centre in March 2001 I heard the audible voice of God calling me uh, to this church that one day I would be the pastor of the church I have had no update from that point I have looked at times for an update from that but I haven't got one in man's eyes it was impossible at that time because we were getting ready to leave Northern Ireland felt I'd made this mistake to come but God said stay and I've stayed and stayed and stayed why because staying shows perseverance endurance and stickability and so after 20 years in full-time ministry you see it all Paul is trying to encourage Timothy to stay because God has a work to do see at the end of Paul's life he writes these final words to Timothy the second letter of Timothy in chapter 4 verse 5 he says to him he says but you keep your head in all situations endure hardship do the work of evangelist and discharge all the duties of your ministry we must stay why must we stay if God calls us to stay why must Timothy stay if Paul tells him four quick reasons the first one is is to protect the people the Bible tells us the hired hand will run away the shepherd protects he says you are not going to protect and look after something you do not care about so Paul is telling Timothy you stay because you protect the people the second thing is this is you bring unity to the people and that's why you stay the third thing is this is you have a redemptive influence upon the people and fourth most important is to see God do a great work it's why Paul is telling Timothy to stay not to surf in a sense over to another church where the grass may be greener over there the grass is always greener where you water it he tells him to stay and he gives him those reasons but he then gives him the main reason why he should stay because he to command certain men not to teach false doctrine we read that in the beginning of the chapter Paul had already spoken of this in Acts 20, 29 to 31, when he says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. 
And so this has happened. Now, Timothy has a job. He, he lives in a time much like ours, in a sense. Uh, it's like I said last week, that there's never been an easy time to, to, to share the gospel, to witness. And he lives in a time like ours where attention almost is given to everything. You can believe anything as long as you believe something. But certainty is really given to absolutely nothing. And so therefore, we in church with our message sometimes, people don't like it and are uncomfortable with it because we bring a certainty uh, in our message, a definite approach to life in a sense and who you should look to in your lives and who you should worship and who you should put as number one. And so Timothy is dealing with this here uh, because false teachers have come into church. And they're teaching, these are the things that they're teaching, let me help you out. The first one is, they're teaching false doctrines. They're mixing law and grace and telling you this is the way it is. And that's the false doctrine that they're teaching. They're teaching myths. Around the time of the New Testament here, it says there are lots of different stories about Jesus and lots of different gospels, a gospel to the Hebrews and the gospel of Thomas. And stories in them are like this, that once a boy pushed Jesus into the puddle when he was a little boy and Jesus got up and cursed him and the boy who pushed him was a leper for the rest of his life. Uh, and they're believing that. Another story that exists in the Gospel of Thomas is Jesus is playing in the mud one day as a child and he lifts the mud up and he molds it and then sort of throws the mud up in the air and it turns into a dove. And all of these stories are in these different Gospels. But the problem is these false teachers are giving some certainty to those false Gospels. They're giving certainty and saying, these are the things that we need to believe. I mean, one, they're just false and they're untrue. But two, why would we believe them? What, what, I mean, think about it. What, what's, what's the point of it? There's no point to it. But people like to teach these things as sort of some sort of grandiose, well, we know something that everybody else doesn't know. And then they teach a third thing when they said genealogies, genealogies, and, you know, who you come from, not where you came from. You know, we live in a world today where it matters where you come from. You know, if I said to you, we live on the Malone Road, and you know, you're sort of, you know, snobby, you know. Look at him. But if you said somewhere else, have to be careful where I say now. <laughs> if you said you were from Ballysill, and everybody would be like, oh, no, I'm only joking. If you said you were from it's because it, it, it was who you came from and not where you came from. And, and they were promoting these endless genealogies for people. Well, let's find out where you came from. Let's, you know, find out little families. Right, yes, you're okay. No, no, no you're not. So a few dodgy characters in your background. And so T Timothy had to confront these teachers boldly, not compromise, because it was corrupting both the law and the gospel, and it was diluting the power of the gospel. The problem is with these false teachers is this. They think they are theological experts who have an angle on the truth, and they don't bring any clarity to a subject, they bring confusion. And we have it in our church today, in, our, in all our churches, not the church, and people who, who they just want to bring confusion. Oh, I have a revelation, and if only the pastor could see it. If only he could see what I can see. He says, but listen, our job is to bring clarity, not confusion. That's what Paul is telling Timothy. He says he wants to bring clarity to a subject, not confusion. 
See, these false teachers were the savage wolves, so they would lead the flock away in small groups by false teaching to bring somebody over to a corner. See what he said this morning, no, he doesn't know anything. So he don't know, you listen to me, let me tell you about the time Jesus turned a dove in, out of mud, threw it up in the air. Oh, is that really true? Is that why I don't know what he says at the front. I'd be more interested in the time that Jesus cursed a little boy when he was a boy, you know, and people follow all those sort of false teaching, false doctrines and false stories because they're looking for something else. Uh, because they're following people who are savage wolves that would ravish a church by leading away the flock in small groups by false teaching. The easiest way to divide a church is to distract the church. How do you distract the church? By focusing on the things that people don't like and offering an alternative. They don't really believe that. Listen, let me tell you something else. It says believers follow because they cannot distinguish between the truth and false teaching. Because Paul tells Timothy here, be grounded in the truth be grounded in the Bible. And so we come to this, and, and there are four quick things as we see it, that this uh, being grounded in the truth is what discerns false teaching from true teaching. After people say to me, let's stay away from theology, let's stay away from doctrine because it divides. Yes, it does divide. It divides truth from error. And so we must look at sometimes at that because we need to ground people in the teaching. That's what Paul is telling Timothy here, which is be grounded. You see, the responsibility of all teachers is to continue to be learners, for you cannot teach what you haven't learned. The greatest responsibility that a pastor has is when he stands up here on a Sunday and he feeds the flock. He says, if I stand up here and said to you this morning, he says, I was busy last week, I flew over to Birmingham and then came back and then I didn't really have time to prepare a sermon, but at half past nine this morning, I was sitting in the office there and I just threw something together here on 1 Timothy. I hope you enjoy it. I hope it feeds you. I hope it gives you some depth and some clarity. You would be like, some of you would be like, what are you paying this fella for? Some of you would be like, he says, we really come here. He says, 40 minutes in the office there. He says, we want, to learn, we want to be learners so we can be teachers. Too many people want to be teachers because they stand up here and say, let me tell you something. They haven't learned anything. He says, if you want to be a teacher, a preacher, you've got to learn. That's what Paul encourages Timothy to do. He says, study to show thyself approved. And he does it, just study, what you got to do? Study. He doesn't say preach to show thyself, you know, a workman approved. He says, study. And he comes here and that's the responsibility of him. And then we see that the, third, the next thing is this, their doctrinal problem was in they did not believe properly. It led to their moral problem in that they did not behave properly. Because believing properly will always lead to behaving properly. When I'm grounded in the truth, when I'm grounded in love, it says my expression of that is how I behave towards others. Uh, and that's the truth of it. It says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Well, it says that twice in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 4. I don't like that. That means forgiving the people I don't like. It says, well, that's what Scripture says. It says, if you believe properly, you'll behave properly. And that's what Paul is getting across to Timothy here in this thing. You see, the responsibility of the pastor before God and the church is not only to seek to give good spiritual food, but to see that anyone who mixes that with anything dangerous does not teach the flock. This is what we do here in Living Hope. It's why we don't let anyone preach. 
It's why when people join the church, we just simply ask them to sit for six months before they do anything. You get to know us, we get to know you. I've lost count the number of times people come for a week or two and then tell me, Pastor, this is the church for me. He says, I love this church. God is here. He's moving in this church. I'll never see him again. I'll never see him again. That's why we say, come sit for six months. Just come enjoy church. Get to know people. Find out that we're normal, we're most are normal. He said, and do with that. And that's what we do. You see, because people come and, and they do this. It's why, and, and Timothy uh, touched on this on Tuesday night, it's why we preach and teach a particular way here in church. And I must say this. We systematically and consistently preach and teach through a book or a theme in the Bible. Isaiah, mental health. We have not stopped praying, leading like Jesus. If you come to something in church, it runs through the church. If you come to the Living Word Bible study, it says it's a, it's a systematic, consistent teaching on the end times, on Revelation. If you go to the academy with Jackie Roberts, it says it's four-week courses on a particular theme or subject from the Bible. Why? It's consistent, it's systematic. It's a pastor's Bible study. We come and we say, we have a theme, it's God is why? Because that's grounding people in truth and feeding people with the food that they need. So actually, it's not up to me really to come and simply say, well, I suppose it's not as dramatic almost or as entertaining as what happens in some churches today. And it's not a criticism that we pick a Bible verse, we share a thought with an entertaining illustration, and then we share a funny story. And I can be funny, I can be hilarious sometimes. <laughs> with themes such as seven points to my destiny, six things I should be doing in my relationships, five things spiritually I learned from my dog. And over the years, I've realized this. So in the following weeks, we realize that the reason we do this is because there may be people sitting in church and they're going to receive cancer results or there may be a couple on the verge of divorce. There may be parents handling a rebellious teenager. The man who finds out he's lost his job, etc., etc., etc. That's why when Paul tells Timothy to stay and gives him the responsibility to challenge the false teachers, he wants to give them something from whatever pulpit he is preaching from that makes a difference in their lives because they've involved God. They're telling a funny story or using an illustration, has its part to play in some, but really when it comes to this, what we've got to do is challenge the false teaching out there, give people their grounding in truth and love that helps them in the circumstances and the situations they've done. It tells us what the false teachers did. They devoted themselves to what they were teaching. Paul says, it was endless, it was exhaustive, it was wearisome. And all he did was bring controversy. You see, because we can argue and promote anything and everything. He says it's meaningless talk. It causes people to wander away and creates confusion and controversy. We could do it here in this church, I've decided. For the next four weeks, we're cancelling what we planned for Tuesday nights. We're going to do four Bible studies. And people are going to love this. They're going to come out in the crowds because, you know, there'll be chairs thrown from the back and everything. The first week, what we're going to do is we're going to look at once saved, always saved. 
and we'll have a Bible study and a discussion about it. And everybody would, oh, that'd be great. We'll, we'll come down and stuff. I remember being at Bible college. I'd been saved 18 months, and they argued about this stuff for three years at Bible college. If we went to Bible college, they'd still be arguing. I remember one day walking through the Bible college, and two fellas were in a, a fist fight, actually punching each other. The future leaders of the Christian church were punching each other. He says, God loves you. Bang! He says, once saved, always saved. Bang! No, I believe in free will. Oh dear, that sort of thing. <laughs> so that's the first week done. So we'll do that the first week. The second week, we'll bring everybody back and we'll do, women should be silent in church. <laughs> and so that night, what we'll do, all the men can speak, all the women, you sit there and be quiet. So it's the third week, we'll do this because we're just getting going and everybody, place is packed now because it's controversial, nobody's growing, nobody's encouraged. The elders are getting phone calls every day and saying, get him off the front now. We says, we can't cope with this anymore. But what we'll do the third week, we'll do this. Christians shouldn't get tattoos. That's the third week. We haven't emptied the church in the first two weeks. We've emptied it by the third week. But just to kill it off in the fourth week and stuff, the, 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 the COVID vaccine is a mark of the beast. We'll finish with that one. And after four weeks, it says, Jaggy, Jaggy and Stephen will have turned their phones off because of all the people phoning them, saying to them, why are you letting that idiot up there to teach his stuff? And I would be looking and saying, why? Because he just creates controversy. It's just meaningless, wearisome, weary talk that doesn't help anybody. I know I've been sort of extreme with that, but see, some people would love that. See, we keep growing and people will become discouraged and disheartened. They'll either wander away or think that this stuff is important. It's not, it's secondary. It's secondary. You see, and Timothy's challenging the false teachers here. And you see, there are always warnings, you see, whenever you, you deal with people and the false teachers and the people that want to do something new. And the three warnings I give you, I know my time is nearly up. The first one is the person who's always looking for something new. So they've been away somewhere and, and they've seen something new. Something the pastor's not seen or anything else, but it's something new. Uh, and so that it's that new experience or it's that new blessing and if we could just bring that into the church and that would, you know, it's, it's our job is to protect the church. That's why we can't just suddenly say, well, let's do everything. Let's invite anybody who's got any sort of harebrained idea or scheme to stand up here and share it with the church. Our job is to protect the church. Because you see, when we stand somebody up here and they say something that's not correct, he says, they don't go to the person who says it. They go to the leadership of the church and say, why did you let him up there? And it looks like we're not doing what we're doing properly. It's why Timothy's got to challenge these people. You see, those who have deep roots in Christ will always be satisfied in Christ, which is the truth of it. Those who have deep roots in Christ will always be satisfied in Christ. If you're not satisfied and you don't have deep roots, You'll always be looking for something new, a new experience, uh, and something new that's happening. This is happening down the road uh, at this church, and they're serving nicer coffee than we don't serve any coffee actually, but they're serving some coffee. And they're doing this down there, and when you come to their church and they do all of this, it's something new. The second thing is people who are all talk and no action, the influence in the background. We should be doing this, he should be preaching that. Talking to people who feel the same way, this doesn't happen in church, you know, and so we should do this. 
And then third thing, and it really touches on the first one, constantly looking for the experience. Go to a conference, seminar, reading a book, and suddenly becomes excited that he knows more than anyone. They've had a revelation the rest of us haven't. If only the pastor could see what I see. They are the ones who, who in a sense, just seek out some version of the truth and not the truth. Our job as pastors and what Paul is telling Timothy is this. Keep the church on a consistent road of teaching that grounds them in the Bible, that expresses that foundation in love. And it's really not that difficult to do in a sense. He says here we see that the problem is they were distorting the law and Paul was simply saying the law is good if it's used properly or appropriately. See, the law is a restrainer. I kind of get in my car, drive 100 miles an hour home, uh, stop on the way into Tesco's, walk in, uh, steal what I want from the shop without paying for it, arrive home, decide I don't like living in my house and break into the neighbor's house, sit down, watch his telly and eat his food. He says, I'm breaking the law, the law restrains. It's, it's all of those things that I've done, there are laws against it. It's the same thing here. But people wanted to keep that aspect of the law. We need to do this, the men need to be circumcised, or the men need to do this, or the women should be this. And Paul says, no. He says the law is needed, and a preacher teaches the law, but he preaches the gospel as well. We teach the law because we've broken God's law, and we are wrong, but what makes us right is when we preach the gospel, the love of God forgives us for the law we have broken through, broken through Christ Jesus. See, Paul speaks about the, this sound doctrine that's here. This is what we should be grounded in. This is what we should be firm, secure, and stable in. He says, don't believe anything that is contrary to sound doctrine. Sound is just stable. It means to be secure. And Paul says to Timothy, tell them. Says basically, it's nonsense. Make sure the people are believing something. The sound isn't secure. You see, what will unite a church is this, is that those who are rooted in the truth of Christ, we're grounded in the love of Christ, and we're preaching the message of Christ. What unites us is him alone. We would differ on some things, and they may be important, but they're not really essential. We must keep what is essential here. And Paul, in his opening verses to Timothy, he tells him what is essential. Because other people will always tell you there are things that are more important than the essential. You know what's essential? And it's simply this. Jesus Christ. Nothing more. Nothing less. Nothing else. There is no other message. If you could sum up those first 11 verses, Paul says to Timothy, three words summing up. Christ is enough. That's it. Christ is enough. What is it for us today as we're here in church, as we come to close? Three words. Christ is enough. We're devoting our time to all these secondary issues that just cause controversy and bring no clarity. He says, remind yourself, Christ is enough. He just simply is enough. That's what Paul wants to say to Timothy. That's what Timothy needs to say to the church. At the end of our first part next week, we're going to be looking at verse 12 to 20, where we hear about the grace that Paul has been shown. And as simply Paul says this in verse 15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, 
It simply says, of whom I am the worst. It doesn't say of whom I was the worst. It says of whom I am the worst. And when I've actually written next week's sermon, just so you don't think I'm sitting around doing nothing all week, and I wrote it, and actually I wrote it, and I got excited about my own sermon. That's always a good sign when the preacher gets excited about his own sermon. But also next week as well, at the end of 1 Timothy 1, is this, is Paul tells Timothy what to do with a couple of fellas that are causing trouble in the church. He just says, throw them out. So we might do that next week as well. Uh, <laughs> because that certainly bring a crowd in. So if there's any volunteers, come and see me at the end. I got a few names already, but uh, do that. Let's pray before the team comes and finishes. Father, we come before you today. We thank you for your word. Father, your son is enough. Father, we can look for new experience, new revelation, new ideas. We can read new books, listen to new sermons, or people of an angle on something. But really, Lord, you bring it back to this, your son is enough. Father, help us to hold on to that. Help us who teach and preach and lead in whatever aspect of this church, whether it be from the children's work right up through the small groups, the academy, through the Bible studies, through the preaching of the word that we would bring clarity to your word, Father God, that it would encourage people and ground them in truth, Lord. Because, Father God, we have the greatest message the world needs to hear. It's not only a message of salvation, but a message of discipleship as well. So, Father, we thank you today. Your son is enough. In Jesus' name, amen.